tuning in to the online broadcast network, AfterBuzz TV. Over 20 million weekly downloads in over 150 countries, and your number one source for after-show entertainment. TV, the destination for TV superfans, producing aftershows for over 300 of your favorite TV shows, interviewing celebrities and showrunners, and bringing you behind-the-scenes exclusives. All thanks to E! Entertainment's Maria Menounos, producer Kevin Undergaro, and internet leader Akamai. Now, let the buzz begin! Hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Legend of Korra House Music Republic City Edition. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Joining me and dropping some sick beats is Mr. Torridge and Miller. Hey, y'all. And how you guys doing? My name is John Quick, spinning it, spinning it once, spinning it true, and we got one heck of an episode to spin for you. I almost that was awesome. Uh, yeah, that actually worked. I was, <laughs> there was like a pause. Like, should I go through with this? Or yeah, why not? All right, yeah. so excellent. And now drawing attention to that, <laughs> just totally kidding. So, um, so much so much happened this week's episode that you know definitely was. I guess like kind of making up for like how not a lot happened la- last episode. Yeah. Other than some really good stories on a ship. Right. You know, uh, courtesy of ship Eric. stuff. Um, yeah, I feel like it definitely, and I, I think that if this was, you know, split into two episodes, which it would have been if that not for the clip episode, then it wouldn't have been as impactful, but we got the full breadth of the story, which was amazing. Yeah, this was like going at a breakneck speed, so, um, uh, the one thing I, I, I want to point out, I was listening to um, Shiro Shinobi's uh, recap going in, and then he had said weeks ago the Avatar, got, you know, purged the poison metal from from herself, and it's just like, wait, is he is he talking about that in terms of like, you know, it's been weeks because of like the episode comes out once a week, or has it been weeks in story time because it it felt like a few days. Um, I mean, it could plausibly be weeks, especially since in the last episode, everyone was just kind of hanging around. Um, and I imagine it would take a while to get all those mechs to the banyan tree, banyan grove tree. Yeah. Um, so I could, I could, I could give the benefit of, of the doubt that some time has passed. Okay. Cause that, then that suddenly makes a lot more sense. So after Mr. Uh, Shinobi's good recap, we, uh, we see Ryu again. If you guys don't remember him from the last season, he was the dude voiced by John Heater, who's the 25-year-old man who still lived in his parents' basement. Yes. Not at all a jab at people like me. <laughs> I, I like to call him Millennial air, Airbender. Uh, well, yeah, especially now, now that he has, like, now that he has, like, the... The, the blonde, yeah. hi- like, hair or highlights or whatever. Like, I don't know what you call it. Like, the toilet bowl bleach cut. Like, that's... Because that's how you... Like, at least that's how back in the day people would do that. It's just basically... It's like, okay, just fill the toilet up with bleach and then dunk your head in. I don't know if this is, like, actually how a lot of people did it. I just knew people that that's how they did it. <laughs> to achieve that look. <laughs> I'm hoping that he didn't. Like, I'm hoping that he's just like, I'm gonna die, and then it grew out a little bit. Like, let's, let's, let's that's, hope. That's totally, that's totally what it looks like. Or he's just like, gosh, mom, I'm in Republic City. I gotta look styling. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, 
he's got a job now. He's leading tours, showing everybody the spirit vines, giving us some background of what they are. On his cards, yeah. And then suddenly these spirit vines come to life and start kidnapping everybody. What? But after, admittedly, after a man poked it with a stick. <laughs> yeah. Smartest move ever. Um, can I say, like, that I feel like this, like, leading these tours is probably the least useful thing for an airbender to be doing. Um, like, and they were talking about earlier in the season how they're at their wits end. They're, everyone's, you know, everyone is uh, strung out. Strung out? Eh, whatever. Spread out. Spread I... out. Yeah, thank you. That's why I keep you here. Um, everyone's spread out, but at the same time, they have this guy just leading tours. Well, yeah, but I guess also because it's it's Ryu. Do you do you want him out in the field, like you know, doing any kind of negotiations or defending bandits? <laughs> it's just like the village is on fire. Would you leave me alone? I'm sleeping. Gosh, <laughs> but it, it would be good for him getting out in the world. I I guess so. Yeah, but his mom is still hanging out with him, doing these tours. Well, like, it was like, "Mom, Dad, we're just, we're just in the big city to see our son." Like, yeah, you didn't like flee the Earth Kingdom, which is what <laughs> I, which is probably how Ryu actually ended up there. Because I can't think think of him like you know going to there of his own volition. It was more or less just like you know their house burned to the ground, so he had to go. Right. <laughs> Um, but anyway, yeah. guy pokes vines with a stick, uh, Vine. it steals people. The vines now steal people, and then we cut, and then uh, we cut over to Korra on, you know, Air Temple Island playing with Naga, has a quick little, conver- quick little conversation, quick little conversation with Opal about how things are still messed up, mm-hmm. and then Janora just comes swinging in, letting her, letting them know that she felt a major disturbance in yeah. the spirit wilds. Uh-huh. Um, kind of there, like episodes ago, you mentioned how the uh, airbenders are like the Jedi, and I was like, "There's a disturbance in the Force." It, it <laughs> you know what? It really was like that. Yeah, but it, only Janora. Apparently, only Janora is like the one that has like Force sense. Right. She has that ability along with the astral projection. Wow, you know, <laughs> she is it, a master Jedi. She really is. So they go to investigate the Spirit Wilds and. You know, everything just sort of looks normal, and then Korra touches the the vines to see if she can't track down Ryu and the team, and then that takes her right to the Banyan Grove tree, where we see uh, Kuvira and her army harvesting the spirit vines for this for their no doubt soon to be built super weapon. Yes, um, which I I hope we do we get more progress on that in the next episode, but we'll talk about that later. But like, yeah. I think that there's just going to be an unveiling. Like once the super weapon is done, then we're going to see it. And right. It's, and you know we're we're going to see that. I don't know if it's going to be like a big gun, because that just seems. I mean, that just seems way too Darth Vadery. I don't know. <laughs> That's no moon. <laughs> um. Yeah. Um. Well. Yeah. I I do love that the Banyan Grove tree was fighting back. So that was nice. Yeah. Um, it was taken out in mechs, which I guess is why we don't see Toph yet in that, like, it, she's like, it can, it can handle itself. Yeah, no, but I, I there's gotta be, like, at least in the next, at least in the next episode, there has to be an episode, uh, part of an episode where Toph just comes up and just starts knocking heads, just being a cranky old lady. And then I don't know if she's going to get, like, 
let herself get captured by Kuvira or what's going to happen because that's going to be an interesting scene where Kuvira essentially meets what's got to be her idol or one right. of them because she's you know Toph is the founder of metal bending and Kuvira is basically just a metal bender i don't think she's bent i don't we do i don't think we see we've seen her really bend earth she, she just does, she bent earth i think around didn't she bend it around uh cora when they were fighting yeah that's true yeah so but i think yeah she's primarily a metal bender like that's her expertise yeah and you know of course she grew up in zalfu so this is like that like that's her jam that's her idol like and, and then to be told and then I guess, like, of course, for Kuvira to actually meet Toph as this crazy old lady who lives out in the middle of a swamp. Right. That That's 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 got to be dream-destroying right there. <laughs> yeah. Never meet your heroes, man. Because, um, yeah, at that point, like, nothing she says is going to be relevant in Kuvira's mind. She's yeah. just going to be like, well, you're, you've been so crazy. Like, there's no point in me, like listening to you but i do like the image of Toph taking a newspaper to kuvira and going no bad <laughs> don't do that or similar yes i do i do see something like that happening that they have to have that happen right especially since they went back to the swamp like Toph is not just like she showed up and then she's gone yeah but we but after seeing this of course Cora's just like, well, we have to tell President Raiko that they're harvesting, like, I like, it's like, they don't know, like, they don't know what exactly it's doing, but they know it's gotta be bad. Mm-hmm. So they rush over, and in the middle of the, I, I, I don't know what the, I guess, like, City Hall, Raiko is meeting with Tenzin, Prince Wu, and Fire Lord Izumi. Yes, we've actually, we actually now know her name. Finally. Yes. Um, discussing what they're going to come up, what plans they're going to have in order to um, deal with the Kuvira problem. And I enjoy Prince Wu just failing. <laughs> I had really hoped that maybe he had grown a little bit. like, But the, the, these these plans are... I mean, I guess he's technically trying. I guess so. I mean... I feel like it's a little too fast for him to grow that much to where he's like, I can form a cohesive, logical plan. Um, but I mean, he's trying. If you, if, I guess technically if you lure her to a prison planet, that might be a thing, or a island, a prison island. Uh, that might be a thing, you know? Well then, yeah, uh, you want an all expense paid vacation. <laughs> Who couldn't take that up? I mean, dictatoring is really hard work. Why not take a vacation? Well, well, you're not when you're in the middle of, like, absolute conquest. She's won. She's united everyone. She's good. Yeah, but no, she's got a super weapon. It's got to be pointed somewhere. Fair enough. You know? Who knows? But there's a, well, there is interesting arguments going around. Raiko is immediately for, you know, preemptive action. He's just like, let's just attack her. Let's take her down. And Tenzin is, of course, um, arguing that, you know, that the Air Nation will not be a part of any preemptive strike. Not, but not, not only that, like, you know, it's like, I, I know that Tenzin's there and he's repping, and he's repping the Air Nation, but the Air Nation consists of maybe 30 people right, right. now. Like, yeah, I he you got some political sway, but to say that the airbenders will not be with you in this fight, well, I would say that that doesn't mean much. But then again, we did see Opal and Genora like you know hold off all of Kuvira's army at Zalfu, two airbenders. So yeah, maybe there is something to be said about having the Air Nation on your side in a fight, right? Um, 
I mean, and I was most surprised that the Water Nation leader, I guess, uh, Cora's dad, I assume he's the leader now. I'm yeah. dumb. Um, but yeah, I was just surprised that he wasn't there because it, like, they're also affected by this whole thing. I think it was like, it was an emergency meeting that was just like put together. Maybe they got messages out to Tonrock. Right. But like, you know, I guess he, he, well, I don't know if he's actually back in the, no, he was back in the Southern Water Tribe. Right. But maybe it was just like, you know, they were going to basically come to, because most of the world leaders are right there. There's Prince Wu, who technically represents the the yeah, Earth Kingdom. Yeah. Um, there's Raiko. There's Tenzin. There's Fire Lord Azumi. I think it's like they would come to a consensus and then they would, you know, then con- them in. Yeah, contact Tonrock and it's like, are you going to throw your support in behind this or like, you know, what's your, what's your vote? But the majority was already there, so. Yeah. I, but but speaking of not inviting somebody, so Cora and Opal burst in, and Cora's immediate thing is like, "Wait, you invited him?" Talking to, <laughs> about Prince Wu and not me. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I understand them losing a little faith in her. Like she's been out of the game for uh, years and years. Uh, her last attempt was thwarted horribly. Um, so, and she's never been the most politically minded. Yeah. So, I mean, inviting her, I feel, would be more of a gesture in their eyes, as opposed to something that could logically go anywhere. Well, I think we also see that Raiko isn't really, he, he, he still has very ambivalent feelings towards Korra. Yeah. And having her involved in any of this, I I think the key... I guess because of how much of a wild card that Cora is, and Raiko being the first president of the United Republic, and a lot of his maneuvers kind of make me think he's a little bit more dictatory, kind of seeming than he would possibly like to let on. Yeah. There's there's something off about President Raiko, right? Though I would assume that he would want uh, Cora, who is all about Cora Smash, mm. to be on his side, to be like, yeah, let's destroy this girl. Yeah. But I think, like, it wasn't necessarily that Raiko didn't invite her. It, Tenzin, it sounds like Tenzin didn't, because yeah. Tenzin, Tenzin stood up and said, it's like, well, we think that, you know, maybe we called you back too soon. Mm-hmm. And he's being, you know, he's, he's trying to coddle, I guess, Korra in a way, which, as we've seen, Korra really doesn't need coddling. Right. Nor wanted at this point. Yeah. So, but, and that's, you know, so the, the the vote is on the table. Like, you know, Raiko is all about preemptive strike. Lynn is all about preemptive strike. Not that she, you know, gets really a vote in this, but I think Lynn is also speaking from, you know, a place of they have my sister and, you know, relatives. Yeah. Her head's not thinking clearly. Ten, Tenzin's against it. And then finally Fire Lord Azumi stands up and basically says, if you do this, I'm not joining in. Right. Um... Which is surprising, like, but I, you understand, because yeah. as she said, like, her nation has been, they've been the aggressors for decades, like, a, kind of like a millennia uh, at this point. And so, like, for them to rush in uh, with the rest of uh, the nations and be like, all right, we're going to take over because you've decided that you are this dictator, it, like, doesn't look very good. Well, I think, like... I understand where Raiko is coming from because if Kuvira decides to 
march her army anywhere, it's going to be to re- to, Repu- to the United Republic. Yeah. And, like, you know, so he, like, feels that. But um, Fire Lord Izumi, you know, is kind of has it right in that politically this is a really bad idea. Like, especially if it's just, like, a preemptive invasion by the Fire Nation. Yeah. The Fire Nation attacks. <laughs> you guys remember that from the other opening? Like, that would be just... That would just straight up be... Kubiro could cement any and all support that she needs, possibly even within the United Republic. Earthbenders or former Earth Nation people would flock to her cause Yeah, if that occurred, which I don't, like... Fire Lord Azumi is, I don't think, necessarily thinking of that. She's just thinking straight on of, I guess, the honor and integrity of the the Fire Nation, no doubt, that she got from her dad. Yeah. All about that honor. <laughs> I'm all about that honor. About that. Anyway. <laughs> Thank uh, you. You're welcome. I had to. It was there. Yeah. Um, but, so, basically, they established that they're going to be, uh, take more of a defensive stance. They'll start, uh, what is the what is the word I'm looking for? They'll start uh, fortifying, fortifying. Yes, uh, their borders just in case. Yeah, and which is like which Raiko is obviously he's not really happy about that because he wants to take Kuvira down before she becomes more of a threat. Yeah, and but he'll like he has to because he knows that he can't do it on his own. The I don't know how. The, the Army of the United Republic necessarily works, considering that General Iroh, who is apparently, is I think the heir apparent to the Fire Nation, mm-hmm. is within it. Then it's, So it's like, obviously, it's a multinational um, army. It may not really, the United Republic may not really have any true central militaristic force. Right. Um, I mean... That would make sense. I mean, I I think at that point they'd kind of call upon their citizens and be like, "Hey guys, we gotta you know fight this this war. It's a thing now. It's drafting. <laughs> they would start drafting, which would end probably poorly. Yes, very poorly. poorly. But speaking of ending poorly, so Bolin. So, well, during the middle of all of this, a very important thing happens, which you cannot skip. Over. Bolin and Varric just burst in because this seems to be the meeting where everyone's bursting in, right? And basically, just you know, drop the mega bomb that Kuvira ha- Kuvira has a super weapon mm-hmm. or is building a super weapon potentially, which is where the vo- which is where the vote all gets where the vote all just gets laid down. But, you know, obviously, they've successfully upped the stakes in the eyes of at least Lynn and Raiko. And Raiko is just taking, like, whatever support he can get at this point. Right. To potentially, you know, safeguard, I guess, like, it, potentially safeguard his nation. Uh, yeah. Though, like, I understand... <laughs> I, I I am personally in a vote of taking down Kuvera. Like, I want them to all unite against her because, like, even if she, quote-unquote, hasn't done anything wrong, she still usurped. Yeah. She still usurped the throne and doesn't belong there. She's taken people prisoner. Like, she's essentially ethnically cleansing all other benders from her area. Like, it's, which it's that's, an issue. Which, that's a thing that nobody else knows about, though. Like, not really. Like... 
the the Bolin was with her the entire time, and he really didn't understand that the reeducation camp, what the reeducation camps really were. Right, like people don't seem to know about all the all this other stuff that that she's doing. All they know is that she's an aggressive. Now she's just kind of an aggressive world leader, just like cementing her power. Like, you know, you can take it from like either perspective of. You know, she's obviously insane and, and she needs to be stopped or she's just somebody who's putting together the Earth Nation, the Earth Kingdom after it just got ravaged. And yeah, who wants that, you know, idiot Prince Wu in charge? Right. All right. I could see it from that perspective. Yeah. Though the, the airbenders know that what she, where she's at and like every, like, so Opal knows, which means Tenzin should know. Uh, Bolin now is part of the party and should be like, Hey, here's what's happening. Like it's, I just say well, the like, information's out there. Yeah. Well, I guess it's like the, a lot of people only have hearsay. There's like no proof. There's right. no like because in that day and age they could take photographs of like these camps. Like where are they located? Like you know none of that stuff. Like all of it. Like as far as anybody can tell is hearsay. Yeah. And then you know some people could argue it's like well of course she has prison camps. You know there's there's been bandits aplenty. Right. Bandits so. aplenty. So yeah. So well then. Uh, well then as everyone like basically files out to do what as they need to as they need to do um Bolin tries to quickly apologize to Opal and that that does not end well no. and then Opal is taken aside by Lin and they plot basically a rescue attempt uh to to go get their families out of Za- their family out of Zaofu and Lynn is just trying to keep it just those just those two because as she said this is unsanctioned and dangerous we can't ask anybody else to take this risk yeah which then later they're going to ask Bolin to help take the risk <laughs> um yes are we, are we chatting about the Bolin thing um i think that we could i think you know let's go ahead let's chat about Bolin and Opal so we we see over the course of this episode Bolin is just trying everything that he can do to win Opal back, and I I understand where Opal is is coming. I understand where Opal is coming from. Yeah, but I also at the same time think it's like, wow, you are a little extra bitter, right? I mean, it's it's you understand her amount of spite though. Like, and I get that she's misdirecting her own frustrations onto him. Yeah, I mean, because he technically didn't do anything wrong. He was just supporting someone who took down her family um but at the same time which which admittedly is huge let's not just be like skating skirting over it it's like it's like why are you so angry at at me for babe i just helped somebody you know destroy your home i'm in prison your entire family and wow all of these things sound horrible coming out of my mouth (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh so i guess that could put a strain on a relationship yeah but also at the same time, like Bolin, like didn't know a, the basically like just who Kuvira was. He only saw the good parts of Kuvira, right? Where apparently Opal had seen some of the bad. Which at the same time, it's just like if you need to convince somebody that they're the person they're following around their hero is bad, like why didn't you like you know show up, grab Bolin by the by his collar and drag him. Did she's is she like she's kind of automatically assuming that he knew this entire time, which is when we found out like, you know, at the battle around the battle of Zaofu that Bolin was just, you know, kind of well his own, you know, kind of rube-ish yeah. self. Yeah. I mean, he was just a, a a poster boy. Yeah. 
So he had no real power. But I mean, so you understand her frustrations, but you're frustrated at her frustrations, which I get. Yeah, in some ways, I think she's being like, I think she's she is being a little extra harsh at him or taking out like she he he's just like a really good outlet for all of her anger. Yeah. And she's she's directing not only the very very valid anger at him, but also some extra anger coming from elsewhere and Bolin is not making it and he's not making exactly making himself a hard target for it either right. like he's he's doing some really really stupid things like sending pabu with a message you know <laughs> attached hey my legs are broken come help me and then he's like oh you're here we should have a picnic and then she's like yeah about that <laughs> not going to happen uh because you're still responsible for my family getting taken yeah um, so, I mean, it feels like she's never going to forgive him. Uh, and even when the thing happens at the end, you're like, well, is this a legitimate chance of redemption or is it uh, a ploy? I think that, like, when he said that he loved her, like, there was something, like, on her face. But I do think it is um, that there's a lot, like, she wants to forgive him, but she can't bring herself to do it. And yeah. I well, then, then there's a part of it that's a lot like you know Bolin grew up in the rough and tumble, so like he he he's a little bit easier to just kind of like let things slide because he's seen the dark side of life. Yeah, this is Opal's first brush with the dark side of life. All right, she's never really seen it. The closest she came is when she got captured by the you know the other with the other Airbenders, and like so this is like you know a girl from a very very sheltered life, or just like anybody from a very sheltered life that's now seeing a lot of this pain and anguish for the first time. Yeah. You know, she's, you know, she's trying to deal with it, you mm-hmm. know, whereas Bolin has had a lifetime to deal with horrible things happening to him. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Which I don't know if that any of that makes any of it better. I <laughs> like th- this is, yeah, yeah, this is legitimately like, you know, I think that Opal is definitely in the right, but it's, I mean, yeah, it's, it's very, it's nuanced. It's, it's gray. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think that even if, like, I think that Bolin would help them with this raid either way. Yeah. I mean, because one, he personally feels responsible and two, um, I mean, it just seems like the right thing to do and, and he's not doing anything else. Yeah. That's very true. I, yeah. I do think at the end, I do think at the end of the day that that's what it comes down to is like, you know, she when she said there is one way that you can win me back and it's like i don't think that'll actually work but if all she if she had asked him to do this without any sort of preamble he would have done it anyway yeah exactly um but get, skipping on back to Korra, so the everything's going wrong in the spirit wilds. The vines, are, the vines are going nuts. It's being cordoned off. When Korra goes in there, she finds her and Mako find Jinora and the other people um, suspended in pods. <laughs> and then when Korra tries to go into the spirit world, she just ends up in, back in her fight with Zaheer and is unable to enter the spirit world. Mm-hmm. So they go and beg Tenzin to basically let Korra meet with Zaheer. Like, she feels as though meeting with Sahir is going to be the thing that's going to, you know, overcome this block, whatever this mental block is. Right. It's like when someone who has been wronged, like if you've been, if someone murdered your family or something, and you feel like if you, if you come face to face with them, then you're, you're, you'll be able to let go of your fear, your anguish, or whatever it is, like, 
because you're constantly blaming them for the, for these issues that are the result. Um, so, like, I, I totally get the logic, and I'm glad that this scene happened. Yeah, no, this is actually the best scene in definitely in this season. Well, one because I love the character of Zaheer. Like, for it, it could just be me, but like, bad guys who are zealots are always fascinating to me because. You know, you can you can see their side like so clearly. You can see their side, and it's it's hard to call like it's easy to call him a villain because he you know he is against what our hero. But mm-hmm. to call him a bad guy is like I have a hard time doing that. Yeah, like Kuvira, I can straight up call a bad guy, even though she believes what she's doing is right. But there's so much of a selfish drive. There yeah. wasn't anything selfish driving Zaheer. Yeah, no, he lit- legitimately just believed that freedom was every human's right. I mean, the way he went about it was uh, not correct. Right. It was a little extreme. But, I mean, overall, like, that is his creed- credence, uh, that he lo- like he just believes that people should be free. Yeah, and, and of course, he's voiced by Henry Rollins, and Rollins just... He, he he is so good at playing this character. Yeah. And, like, you hear both in the voice and, and in the animation, like, you know, his mixed feelings. So as him and Korra are talking and Korra is telling him, like, I came here to let you know that I'm not afraid of you anymore. And then he freaks her out. And he's <laughs> like, how's that working out for you? Right. And then they, they get into, like, a genuine philosophical discussion in which Korra throws in his face that it's like, oh, yeah, you know, you, you tried to create, free, you talk about freedom and chaos, but all you did was create, you know, the worst dictator that the Earth Kingdom has ever seen. So it's like he, you know, he gets he gets thrown in his face as his actions caused the exact opposite of everything that he ever wanted. Yeah. And he's, and you know, I think that he's actually spent a good portion of the time down there in a little bit of self-reflection, kind of like what, how much has this all cost me? Yeah. And you see it in, you see it in his eyes when it gets thrown at him that he's just like, she's absolutely right. Mm -hmm. And then he offers, and this this was like huge. He offers to help her through everything. Yeah. And like to see them just kind of like I guess what they call it the 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 Darth Vader moment. It's like when you know the bad guy becomes the good guy. Like suddenly you're just like yes, <laughs> yeah. I mean I love that they have the the mutual understanding because mm-hmm. it it aligns with his philosophy that um, that Kuvira should not be in power and he's been keeping up he, he's been keeping track of it with the spirit realm so he knows what's going on but not to the extent that she had told him yeah. And so he agrees to lead her to the spirit world, and he does. And he, but he gets he gets her to there by like so when they start meditating, and he's leading her to the spirit world. They're back in that fight, and he's trying to, you know, basically he says like you have to accept what has happened and move on. Because you know, just kind of going back, we discussed like you know earlier when the season started, like this was the first time that. Korra had, like, actually been, like, hurt or suffered consequences from, you know, with Amon, it was, like, almost immediate. She got her bending back thanks yeah. to thanks to Aang. Um, Unava, you know, with Unavatu, she got all of her bending back and she got Rava's spirit mm-hmm. back pretty much, you know, immediately. Yeah, she lost her past connections, but Korra has never really relied on her past connections. So that, like, you know, that wasn't a, really a huge loss for her. Yeah. Possibly for all other avatars after her, yes, but for her, no. <laughs> 
And so, but then this, this was like, this took her out of the game for three years. So yeah, this is like some major, like, I guess, you know, PTSD is she's been dealing with. And then this of like facing the event is what allows her to break through. And she's back in the spirit world and she reconnects with Rava. Yeah. Which was a great moment. Cause like she, Rava has always been there. Like I think we had discussed it on a previous show that, or a previous episode where, um, the avatar state that was following her around was like the essence of Rava trying to communicate with her. Yeah. I think that's most likely in trying to get her to face that, which is what Negacore was. I yeah. guess like, you know, just trying to get her to face what has happened and then hopefully kind of move on from there. Right. And then we, we see now like, you know, Korra and Zaheer in the spirit world, and then Zaheer fades away, and Korra finds the other, finds the trapped spirits of um, all the people in Republic City, and Rava, you know, telling her, it's like, you know, to bend the energy, and Korra saying, it's like, oh, it's like, oh, I don't have my, it's like, I'm not powerless in the spirit world, and Rava's saying, it's like, no, you're actually the most powerful here, and I, which is, interesting because we've always seen that like it when the usually when the avatar enters the spirit world they're mm-hmm. without their bending but i think what Rava is trying to you know that in a way like the yeah like if the avatar is connected with rava at all times and rava is like one of the two great spirits so of yeah. course the avatar has would have like insane power mm-hmm. within the spirit world i guess like just because the the avatar doesn't have their bending in the spirit world it's yeah. kind of been like assumed that that's well i mean it it reflects what zahir was saying and that yeah. like they only believed that they were capable of the the regular bending of like the fire and the air and the, but like within the spirit realm and maybe even beyond they can manipulate energy itself yeah. and especially like the spirit energy yeah that was that was an interesting line it's like you say your power has limits i say it is limitless mm-hmm. which you know is Kind of, like, I don't know if, like, there's going to be more from Zaheer this season. I don't think there's going to be any more from Zaheer this season. I think if this went on for another season, Zaheer would play, like, a bigger role, possibly have a redemption moment. But I don't think yeah. that that – I think this is as much of a redemption moment for the the, the psychopath as we're going to get. Right. But uh, but he could be the Hannibal Lecter of Korra. Yeah. But – so Korra, free, Korra frees all of the spirit – Frees all the spirit people, and she's re- and she's now like you know basically one hundred percent healed. So we just have you know the big epic showdown to go. Yep. And I don't know how it's because so next episode I'm just saying I'm just thinking right now it has got to be so we're going to see Lynn and Opal and Bolin's attempt to rescue. The um the uh, the the other Bay Fonks from Zalfu and I don't think that can't end well. Something's going to go wrong, but I'm not sure what. Of course. And I think Toph is going to lay a beat down on somebody, and I'm not sure if she's going to let herself get captured. And then because I'm really really hoping for an old team Avatar like meetup <laughs> like this to be like in the big epic battle. There's going to be Z- Zuko, Katara, Toph, and then. Um, Korra's just gonna kind of like hang out a little bit. Right. 
Um, and the spirit of Sokka will be there too. In some way, shape, or form. Maybe yeah. the spirit of Sokka's boomed you. <gasps> yeah! That'd be great, actually. That would be awesome. I don't think that's what's going to happen. Yeah, but no, not at all. I, that would be so cool <laughs> if they did it. Yeah. I really want that. Guys, I know you've already finished the season, but how about a quick revisionist history? I mean, they did make a, a clip of uh, the <laughs> Julie do the thing, so they're listening. <laughs> yeah, that is true. <laughs> well... I think that wrap that wraps us up for this week. We yes, got we're going we're going into the series finale co- coming up here in the next few weeks. So, oh man, I cannot wait for the for the inevitable epic showdown. We're gonna have mech we're gonna have mech wars and super weapons and the Avatar just unleashed. It's gonna be so good. This is gonna be awesome. So, where can they uh, find you, Mister Miller? You can find me on Twitter at Tari J. That's T-A-U-R-I-J-A-Y. And yourself, John? You can find me on Twitter at at NowQuick. And uh, don't for, don't also don't forget to follow Ms. Uh, Liz Rishmaui at... Lizzie Maui. L-I-Z-Z-Y-M-A-W-I. Yep. Yeah. And who should you be joining us again next week? But until then, we will see you guys later. From executive producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other After shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. Buzz you later. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals. 